it going? Are you in uh, your studio right now? I am. Yeah, I'm in my studio. You want to take a look? Yeah. I have a um, have you on a little tripod so I can just. Oh, see. cool! Very professional. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it looks great in there. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a studio that my parents built in their house actually when I was in college because they really wanted me to move back home. And I was like, you guys are crazy. I'm never moving back. <laughs> and it's just like been here. I'm just doing like a close up here. And it's just been sitting here empty for- Oh, that's amazing. Like 12 it's years. finally come into its final use. <laughs> yeah, my, I'm really kind of, it's hard for me because I'm like, the corona happened because my dad prayed that I would move home and he finally got his wish. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds very powerful. <laughs> He's very Persian. It's yeah. a very Persian thing to never want your children to leave home and to live with you forever. So they really made that happen. They were, he really manifested that. Looks so like a pretty good um, like <laughs> collateral. Or I don't know if that's the right word, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, big time, big time. And the um, the light is really good. It's probably around the same size as what I had in New York, maybe a little bit bigger, actually. Yeah, that was right. great. And having Cora, it makes it really easy because I can work at any time at night or whatever. And I don't have to go anywhere. You know, I don't have to wear a mask or be exposed or ride <laughs> in an elevator to get to my studio. So Yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> Um, I mean, not yeah. exactly, but I have the live work situation. Yeah, I've been there. I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like it's interesting, actually, because I think your work is so much about family and relationships. And you're kind of like, it seems yeah. like you're actually working through a lot of that in recent yeah. work. So, and to actually have the studio. <laughs> Be trapped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you are like in your views <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's a really positive way of looking at it. Yes. <laughs> I'm actually someone who works really well from home though. In New York for cheers, I had your setup where I had my studio in a second bedroom inside mm -hmm. my apartment and I got more work done there than I've ever gotten in my life. Um, this year has been different, even though it's in the house, it's just you know, with COVID and having a toddler, my time and energy is, is so compromised. But I think if we were not in a pandemic, having the studio at home, I, I would be much, much more productive. It's a setup that I prefer. I, yeah. I love working from home. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like it's um like, I feel like it has a kind of emotional yeah. quality too, like in a way, like I feel like maybe something we share, like I remember when you did come to my studio for the first time, I was kind of like researching you a little bit then. Like, <laughs> I remember reading something, maybe it was writing about you, that your work was about intimacy and in yeah. way. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's what I, that's kind of what I'm into too. Yeah, totally. Um, I remember reading one of your recent artist statements and being like, damn, I wish I could steal that sentence. It was like two or three sentences. I was like, that, is, that is exactly what I'm thinking about. <laughs> I thought your art statement was really good, actually. Like, I feel like- Oh, the one I recently sent you? Yeah, it feels like, um, it feels like your work has changed a lot. Also, like yeah. I was doing 
like I don't I didn't know your work that much prior to maybe like 2017 or something yeah yeah and I was looking on turn website and like it feels like it actually became more um well I think it's changed in a lot of ways but it feels like it it, it feels like it became more um simplified like the earlier work was mm -hmm. a little more complex and yeah. like just on a formal level and it feels like yeah. you kind of uh I don't know what the word is um it's more elemental or something it's more maybe essentialized yeah it's yeah. more primitive too yeah. I yeah. think like the way that I'm making my images is straight out of my head whereas I used to look at a lot of models or photo references mm -hmm. um and there's sort of just like a really direct um, connection between my psychology and my emotions and what I'm thinking and what comes out on the page. Mm -hmm. um, and I made that switch actually when I was pregnant because I couldn't paint with oils. I could only work mm -hmm. with water media. And so I just started making tons of drawings. And I kind of just hit this wall where I didn't want to look at photo references anymore. I just wanted to draw from my mind's eye and my subconscious. And I think that's really where like the transformation came from. And there's so much research about how pregnancy literally changes your brain and how birth literally changes your brain. And I feel like that happened in my work. Like it really, I look at my, the work that I was doing prior to 2018 and it doesn't even, I mean, there's certain things about it that I like enjoy, but I don't feel like it was the, the, the materials I was using and the way I was working was not getting at what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And I think, I think expanding my materials first to papyrus and then to thread. And now I'm using pearls. Like it's just becoming more rich in terms of like its connection to what I'm actually really wanting to say. Yeah. Um, which is exciting for me personally. Yeah, Totally. I mean, I feel that very much when I was looking at things, like it feels like, I mean, it feels like the earlier work I was thinking was like very kind of Eden-like or something. Yeah, and it was. I was, you know, I've always had like a lot of trouble with painting about my identity um, as an Iranian-American because there's so much pressure in the West if you're not white to talk about your identity politics. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I, I got in trouble a lot for that in undergrad. My teachers were really pressuring me. They're like, Kimia, your family's from Iran. You guys came over here under such traumatic um, circumstances. Like, why don't you paint about that? And it always mm -hmm. really pissed me off because I've never been able to go to Iran because of religious persecution. So although that is my culture, it's not a place I've ever experienced firsthand. And all of the sort of trauma that brought my family over, it, it's their stories. You know, I didn't experience it firsthand, but there is in the West, this pressure from the, from the West, like the Western viewer wants, it's like a commodity to talk about identity politics of people of other cultures and races. And it all, it's almost like, it's almost like they want it for consumption rather than for authenticity. Mm -hmm. And I teach a lot. Um, and every single time I have a student that's, um, you know, 
of a different race or culture, they're always talking about their identity politics, not because or they're, they're painting about it, not because they're necessarily interested, but because that's kind of all that they've been taught is available to them. And so the work that I was making after grad school kind of dipped into that because I sort of succumbed to the pressure at one, at some point, I was just kind of like, maybe I should be making work about Iran, maybe I should. And I tried and it just didn't feel authentic to me. It felt like I was performing. Mm -hmm. um, and I did a couple series about um, Persian gardens and what that, you know, the implications of that for my family and, there was, a, there was some of those things that I was like, you know, dipping my toes into. And it was just kind of, it just sort of made me cringe because it wasn't, it wasn't something that was a firsthand experience. And what I think um, happened after I made those paintings is I was just kind of like <laughs> disgusted with myself. <laughs> and I was like, I have to be more honest. And um, I think pregnancy helped me do that. I think birth helped me do that. I think getting older helped me do that. And being a curator and a painter in New York helped me do that. Um, I really think that the best work that's out there is work that is really, really vulnerable and is work that is really, really honest and not necessarily trying so hard. I think when people stop trying so hard and they just make stuff about what interests them and what, they're, what they really feel and are passionate about, that's when the best stuff is made. So that's kind of a really long-winded explanation of, <laughs> of like the phases of my work. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I agree with so many things you said, like, um, yeah, I'm very into not trying too hard. <laughs> I mean, but it, which is also a very weird bar to figure out, I think. Yeah. Like, what like what constitutes not trying too hard versus phoning versus in? also like putting in effort that's necessary yeah, exactly. yeah yeah how do you have any thoughts on how you determine that like I don't I don't I feel like I'm always thinking about that on some level yeah I think I am too for me I think it comes down to performance like I see so many it seems like a trend where you know because of social media people are performing so much they're performing for their Instagram accounts. They're performing in their studios. Yes. Like these studio shots that like people are taking. And, and so much about the media we see and consume, I think is about performance. It's about how, you're pre how we're presenting ourselves to the world. And um, I try really hard when I'm in studio to sort of block those voices out and to just listen to my intuition which is like you know a word that's not allowed in the art world but I don't care I use it anyway because I think it's a real thing um, yeah I mean I love intuition and I think it actually I think that so I think it's maybe I don't know how you feel about this but I think definitely in like academia I think it's frowned upon but there's so yeah. much work that's made intuitively yeah I feel like once you get out of, as long as you're not in an academic institution, you can yeah. talk about it. But I remember in grad school and undergrad, I, I was just always getting in trouble. Like I was always getting in trouble. It was, um, it was a real relief to leave school for me and yeah. enter like the, the practicing art world. And I think that is another thing. It was like every year I shed another layer of like 
BS that I was taught in school. I'm like, oh wait, that's not real. That's not true. That's not accurate. Yeah. Um, Do you regret going to school at all? Or do you think you just parts of it and throw out others? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I regret, uh, I mean, I guess I can't say regret. I wish I had been, I mean, what can I say? I was, I was young, you know, like you're impressionable. I, what I wanted to say was that I wish I hadn't been so impressionable and listened. And I wish I hadn't believed my professors, Mm -hmm. but I really did. They were like, they were these icons for me because they were practicing artists that had made it, that had made a living. And so I was like, wow, whatever they say must be true. And I was really naive. I grew up in, in Tennessee where there was zero art. There wasn't an art museum in my city until I was 17. So like I grew up in a really naive sort of, um, way artistically so when I went to undergrad and then when I went to grad these professors were like the only interaction I had with practicing artists and so I guess their influence on me was was more than I wish it than it needed to be but um you know I found my way it just I think it took me longer than maybe it takes other people and I'm still finding my way yeah I mean I feel like I feel like I uh, I remember like almost crying after my first grad school crit, <laughs> but it seems so cringe now. But like yeah. um, in the end, I felt like I kind of had come to this realization that like, oh, they all have their own agenda. They all have their yeah. own like ideology mm-hmm. and I'm not here to absorb know. that. Yeah, yeah. Like in a way, I'm here to push against it and make mm-hmm. my own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it took me years to realize that, unfortunately. I wish I'd been more like I wish I'd been more like you. Um, I mean, I think I'm still realizing it also, you know. I mean, but I do see um I do see kind of coming off of what you were saying before, like a a real the emotional soup is becoming a lot more complicated and like um and feels like well, even just the, like, I feel like the earlier work, there was a lot of, like, couples, which I read in a romantic way, although it could mm-hmm. also be, like, sides of the self, but now there's, like, a whole family unit, and mm-hmm. there's <laughs> maybe even, like, intergenerational relationships. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And a yeah. lot more pain, I feel like, also, like, a lot more, um, yeah. like, it's not all kind of happy and mm-hmm. yeah which for is sure I think too like I I know that other um first generation Americans will understand this but there's so much pressure when you grow up in a family that has integrated to America to do things with excellence and perfection and to sort of um and to not talk about like any pain or it should just be like all roses, all perfect all the time. Um, and I was definitely raised with this level and this obsession with perfectionism from my parents um, and my extended family. You know, it's like the model minority mindset. You know, it's like, oh, you're probably the only person in your class from Iran. You might be the only student that your teachers have ever had from this country. So you better be a good example. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the earlier work was really made from a place of that psychology. Um, Sort of like this 
perfectionism that I <laughs> suffered from and still suffer from and like this unwillingness to talk about like the the pain or like the difficulty that exists in, in human lives and like like obsessively just focusing on the positive but none of that really gets to honesty or vulnerability and um I think just the older I've gotten and then also becoming a mother has really helped me sort of uh, move away from that, those mental limitations and really sort of embrace, like birth is so gruesome. It's such a grisly, gruesome process that I think that anyone who goes through it is forever changed. And I think it really sort of, for me, like it made me like, I cannot just talk about like, sweet beautiful things like this like this is how every single human on the planet enters the world this really painful really bloody really gory process and if that's the beginning of life like there's a there's got to be a reason for that Mm -hmm. and it's got to be worth talking about um and so I think that process is really sort of what opened up uh that those channels for me to talk about um, these more, uh, I don't know, these emotions that maybe were not so accepted in my family, uh, that I grew up in. Yeah. I think it's really interesting too, that you're exploring that through motherhood too. Cause I think motherhood is a role that has a lot of like kind of smoke and mirrors around it. Big and, time. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's also like another dirty word in the art world, like motherhood and intuition. I feel like I feel like the second uh, I, I know a lot of mothers who hide their pregnancies, like on Instagram, or who don't talk about being mothers because they feel like they're going to be perceived as not um, a serious artist. And I remember my art professors in undergrad. There, I didn't have a single art professor who was a mother. Uh, that would like n- none of the women were moms. Some of them had you know long term partners. Some of them were married, but none of them were moms. It wasn't until I was in grad school, and then I had one professor that was a mom. And so I think in that in the generation that came before us, this was definitely the case. Like even Marina Abramovich talks about, she's like, you can either be an artist or you can be a mother. You can't be both. Yeah. And I just and there's a, there's a lot of that. Um, and, you know, the top galleries, the percentages of women who are represented, it's like one to ten. It's still ridiculous. So we still face a lot of um, inequality as as female artists. Um, and because of that, for a while, I was like, man, maybe I shouldn't talk about being a mom. Maybe I should hide it like all these other <laughs> women that I know they're hiding it. But then I was like fuck that. It's super important to talk about it. And it's super important to, to show that you can do both and that it can even make your art better, which I think in, in my case, it made my art more honest. I don't know if it made it better, but it certainly made it more honest. Yeah, I feel that. Also, I was wondering, did you ever watch either of Ali Wong's um, comedy specials? Yeah. Both. Yeah. M- many times. Yeah. They're incredible. They're yeah. so good. And I love how she's well, she's pregnant through both. I like the second yeah. one especially is very much getting into the gruesomeness of pregnancy, which I, which was hilarious also. And yeah, not, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. There's so many things about it that are great, but highly recommend that if people haven't seen it or heard it. 
I remember watching it when I was pregnant mm. and lying on the couch, like feeling like complete shit. And sorry, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. Yeah, and um, and she said this thing where I think she was talking to Chris Rock actually, mm. and he was like. I don't know if you remember this part and he and she was like I'm having a lot of um hesitation about you know choosing to have kids I feel like it's gonna tank my career and he was like actually I think it's gonna make your career and if you can talk about motherhood um and 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 normalize that he's like you know there's a huge percentage of the population that have children and will relate to what you're saying and that's why she did her specials while pregnant yeah and, um, then, and then she exploded and everybody knows Ali Wong now. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, also I thought was interesting. I think in both of them, she like doesn't even talk about being pregnant till like halfway through. So yeah. it's like not even like it's only about that. Right, but it's right. just like, and she's so not like, she's very vulnerable, but she's also like super tough at the same That's time. That's right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think she's a genius. Yeah. I think she's, and she's a total role model for me because she's someone who is really like her craft of writing and comedy is just, it's like genius. It's like next level. I know. And she, and she also has two girls. So it's really inspiring. And her yeah. husband like really helps out a lot, which I think is a great example for, for men out there or, or partners yeah. of people who have children. Yeah, I forgot about how like her talking about her husband and her yeah, not as well. He like went to Harvard and like studied business, and he's like her manager now. Like he yeah. gave all of that up to, for her career, which I I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think. Well, I was thinking about you mentioned you're starting to use pearls in your work. Yeah. And you're talking about how pearls are made by this kind of grain of like struggle or pain mm -hmm. or uh, it's like a piece of sand, right? That just becomes. Yeah. And I thought that was a cool metaphor that I might not have thought about if I hadn't yeah. read. I, I mean, cause it's a little bit like you don't see that happen, but you do know. That is it. the process. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh. Yeah. I made, I actually took two years of like metal smithing and jewelry making when I was in college. So I had like in my studio here at home at my parents' house, I found this old bin of all of my jewelry making tools. Mm -hmm. And I had this string of pearls, a string of pearl beads that I had been making like earrings and rings and stuff with. And that's kind of how I thought about it. And I started, um, and so I like it because it's a, the, the paintings are now they're all, they almost feel like jewelry making to me because it's a mix of like these, and I found like bits of copper and silver mm. and I've been like sewing those into the paper. And I really, and I also was a book binder for a year after college, that was my first job. I was a professional book binder. So it, for me, these recent paintings are a combination of all of the crafts that I love. They're painting, they're sculptural, they're paper, they're like books, you know, folding and sewing. And then now that I'm incorporating like the pearls and the silver, they are also like pieces of jewelry. Um, that's also what makes me so excited about them is like, I get to do, I get to work with all of the materials that I love and have worked with in the past. Um, pearls, I think are especially profound because for a number of reasons, the first is that 
I think um, our experiences as humans, the most difficult and the most painful, I think if we're being honest, like looking back on them, they're the ones that help us grow the most. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that transform us actually. Um, and I think about that, I think about a pearl as being the perfect physical metaphor for that truth. Because what happens, as you said, is like an irritant gets into the oyster and to, to make that irritant less painful, the oyster coats it in, um, in this, I don't know if it's a protein, it's something that then becomes a pearl over time. And so I really like the fact that that also kind of is sort of like pregnancy. It's like you, you are in so much pain for so long and it's like physically inside of you. It's something that's physically made inside of your body, just like a pearl is physically made inside of an oyster. Um, and then at the end, it's like you, you literally made a human. Like it's the craziest, craziest process ever. Yeah. So the pearl, the pearl for me is like very multi-layered. And um, I just ordered some more online because I've like used them all. I've just been like going nuts with them but they're also just so beautiful. It's just such a fun material to work with. That's so cool. I love, it's very beautiful description of all the different facets of it. And yeah, I see that yeah. kind of in the newer work, like you're kind of, yeah, using all these different facets of yeah. experience, like, um, like they're literally kind of layered and folded and sewn on. Yeah. Um, yeah. they're really explorations. Like I never totally know what they're going to look like. Um, and they're sort of, I think about them as just like call and responses, you know, I'll like, I'll do one thing that feels like it should be done. Like it feels like it should be right. Like a fold or a tear or a stitch. And then I'll sort of sit with it maybe a, a week, a day, sometimes a month. Mm -hmm. Then I'll go back and I'll, and I'll rework it or I'll add something. But working with paper and, and thread allows so much flexibility because you can cut into stuff, you can expand, you can contract. Um, and it also, like the paper that I use, papyrus, the, the natural color of it is very similar to the color of my skin. Mm. So it also physically feels like skin or like, like bodies, sort of. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's a little creepy, but I think it's really, really fun to work with. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point too about paper. Like, like it's a lot more malleable. Well, it's a lot more vulnerable. And it's yeah, it's more, more fragile. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of your other work was on like panels too. Which all of like it, the opposite, yeah. right? Yeah. It's the complete, yeah, it was all on wood panel. And um, I think... I mean, I love wood and I still work with wood in terms of like sculpture. I've still been making sculptures and stuff, but the papyrus actually really looks like wood. Mm. It looks like if you took wood and like shaved it down and made paper from it without bleaching it or like, the, you know, paper pulp that we see because it's literally strips. The way that papyrus is made is it's literally strips of the papyrus plant that's been crossed over each other like this. Um, so it, it looks like it has wood, wood grain in it. Mm. So I like it because it's this sort of in-between material that, that, that has so many layers. It's also like it originated in Egypt, which is, you know, like 
the like close to the North Africa, Middle East, the MENA region, which is where my family's from. Mm. And it's the oldest paper in the world. It was like the first invented. So I feel like the themes that I'm thinking about are also very archetypal and universal and, and span generations. So I like the fact that this paper sort of dates back to like, I don't know, I don't remember when papyrus was invented, some crazy <laughs> century BC. Um, but it feels like there's continuity and it's like a, it's like a nod to all of the humans and families that have come before me and all of the ones that will come after. Yeah, totally. Which feels like it totally plays into all the themes you're thinking about so well. Yeah. Also, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, and I found it completely on accident. I wish I could say that it was like so intentional, but I had this residency upstate and I was actually looking for this completely other different kind of paper. Um, it was when I was pregnant, like I said, so I, I wasn't using oil. And I went to an art store looking for this other paper, Manani Pesha. I don't know if you know it. It's Italian. It's really fluffy. It's like a cloud. It's amazing. <laughs> but I was literally opening every drawer at the art store looking for this. And then I opened this drawer and I found this stack of papyrus. And I was like, papyrus? I don't even know this stuff. Like, I thought it only existed at the Met and like the Egyptian <laughs> section. So I just bought a couple sheets for fun and then I had such, and then it's all I ended up working on at the residency mm. and it kind of just shifted my work. It feels like forever. It's like really hard for me to make oil paintings now. Yeah, do you think you would, do you feel like you, like, I mean, it feels like you just found your own language and like yeah. material and form that you're starting to... Mm -hmm. do you think you would still make kind of conventional oil paintings or or I'm like really trying I'm really trying hard because I love oil paint it's so beautiful and like sensual and there is I still use it on the sculptures actually and I don't find mm -hmm. limitations with that and I've been I've started like cutting the wood like on this piece like on this piece and like irregular shapes. Mm. And these to me, it's like way easier to make paintings like this on a, on a surface, on a wooden, it's pretty thick. Yeah. On that's a surface that's, yeah, that's it. I just, I can't do things on square, like rectilinear mm. 90 degree angles anymore. It like makes me crazy. <laughs> it feels too constrained. So yeah, I've been, I've been experimenting, but I'm having a lot of trouble working with the materials I used to work with because they feel so limiting like the water media I, like all of these pieces are mixes of ink acrylic oil pastel conti thread like there's just so so much more control I have mm -hmm. and and gl glitter I'm using a lot of glitter too whereas with oil paint it's you know it's very limited because of the nature of the material you can't like once you start with oil you can't put acrylic on that you're kind of stuck you can't use watercolor on oil. Yeah. Um, and none so. of them are like, yeah, none of these paper works, or at least the most recent, they're, they're very kind of, they're the shape of the figures and the subjects, like there's mm -hmm. cutouts and things, like mm -hmm. they're not just like figure ground, they're kind exactly. of- Exactly. Yeah. They're like their own sculptures, kind of. Yeah, exactly. They become a little more sculptural. I mean, in a way, the other ones are too because of that big slab yeah. of wood, but even the more chunkies. so. 
Like, yeah. I think the cutouts too, if I started actually with the wooden panels, if I started doing cutouts, that's my next plan. I think it could feel more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, what I love about the paperworks are the overlaps and like the shadows that you get when you overlap and like the thread also for me, because the thread acts as a sculptural object. It acts as a color. I have tons of different colors that I use. And it acts as a line yeah. and a connector. Like it just, it's all of these different things. And you can't really use thread in the same way with a chunk of wood. Like I could drill holes in it and it, it would, but I think it would feel really sort of contrived. Um, whereas with paper, it's just like, I don't know, it, it suits the paper. Yeah, for sure. Maybe if it was with wood, it would have to be more like nails or the thing that yeah. put wood together with. Yeah, maybe like staples or I don't know. Yeah. I'm not giving up on it. I'm still tinkering away, but they're just all like all the oil paintings I'm making lately like really suck. And I'm just like, (laughs) I'm just like trying to be okay with it. Yeah, I remember you, I saw something you posted in your Instagram stories where there was like a person like trying to walk on ice and like (laughs) out falling down and you're like this is me in the studio and I was um maybe is that what's happening (laughs) yeah I mean this whole year has been really difficult to get into studio and and make any headway just because I mean I think if you talk to any parent this past year it's been just the hardest thing in the world I think it's the hardest year to be a parent in the past hundred years basically um I'm lucky that we we have been living with my parents um, and I have some help with my daughter, but just like watching a toddler in social isolation is so sad because little kids need people and they need socializing and yeah. um, like the emotional weight of like watching your child be isolated. It's like, it's really hard for me at the end of the day of being her only friend and only playmate to then have the energy to get into studio and make something. So yeah, I posted that video of that poor woman who was trying to walk on, walk on the sidewalk and kept falling and slipping down. Like literally she did it 45, 50 times. And I was just cracking up because that's exactly how I feel in studio. And, you know, after there was like a break where I think also so much of like the political climate of what's going on, the election, it's so divisive. Like I just feel the heaviness of like the collective like what's going on in the world. And, and all of those things have made it really hard for me to make anything this year. And I've talked to a lot of artists who felt the same way. I don't know, do you, have you had that experience or have you had more time to make? I've had more time in a way, but I haven't like, I do feel like, um, I, I, I wasn't pushing myself. It wasn't like, I feel like I'm trying to begin again in a way yeah. right now and like I'm, I feel like I've changed a lot over the past mm-hmm. year. So I'm trying to figure out how to express that through my work. Yeah. Um, it feels like I would say from the outside looking at yours, though, even if it's been hard, it does feel like you kind of came to some really big kind of conclusions or new places. So that's. Really Thank exciting. you. Yeah, that is. A, yeah, that's really generous of you. I think I think so. I, and I think it's really it all happened sort of after the election. 
Like there was this, like, it, it was like, I was working on all of these pieces and nothing was happening and nothing was coming together. And then the election was over and I felt just like so much relief. And there was this period between November and the insurrection at the Capitol where I got a lot of work done and all of the things that I'd been thinking about from the past year all kind of gelled. And it's because I think this like emotional weight was like lifted for like a minute, but like now I'm back in the haze. I'm like, I can't make anything. <laughs> the world is falling apart, but. Yeah, um, maybe around the same time I started to feel more hopeful or just have, like I felt like mm -hmm. I maybe was like, I can't just be angry and upset all yeah. the time. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> like I have to just find a way to feel better somehow. Yeah, like, exactly. I feel like it works somehow I don't know why I don't know maybe I feel a light at the end of the tunnel kind of yeah I do too. trying to hold on to that feeling I do too and my daughter just started preschool so I'm, oh, wow. I have like yeah I have like an extra 15 hours a week now where she's just she's not even here so it's this reclaimed time that I haven't had in like you know two years two and, That's and a half years amazing so it's really exciting yeah yeah I love this um piece in back of you maybe that's a good segue to talk about the sculpture yeah the sculptures very, like Bancusi-ish yeah <laughs> I know I'm trying not to reference him too obviously but I mean he's I just think such a legend back. yeah it's beautiful like this face like piece is really beautiful it's actually not, I haven't glued it or fixed it in any way. It's just like an assemblage. I like cut all these pieces and sanded them down. Um, and I just kind of assembled them like this. Mm. And I'm trying to decide if I should paint it or leave it. And then there's all these, yeah, I oh. have wood like everywhere in my studio. Those are cool. What are those from, those wood? They're from upstate New York, actually. They're like reclaimed barn um, beams, I think. Oh, cool. They're so happy. <laughs> yeah. And then my, my, my brother is a woodworker. He's a furniture designer and an architect. So he always has like leftover wood that I, I get from him. And he helps me like put things together. Mm. Um, this is one that... I mean, this is my whole like wood corner. <laughs> cool. I right. just like weird stuff that I'm working on, little sculptures. And you, you've been like, I, I remember seeing your show at Turn, which was yep. that like two years ago? Yeah, that was 2018. That was yeah. right before I had my daughter. Mm -hmm. the, literally the show closed on the day that I went into labor. Wow, that's kind of amazing. It was really funny. Yeah, it was my due date. And um, she was born just on the last day of the show. <laughs> it was kind of cool. That is cool. It's like the end of one cycle. They began. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, um, but was that like, is it new that you're kind of forming the wood more or were you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I was, so my studio in Brooklyn was in the Brooklyn Navy Yard for years. And I shared a floor with like seven furniture makers. So they would throw out like incredible pieces of wood that like if they'd been making like a custom table or something, they'd throw out like, my brother was telling me, he was like, this is a $450 piece of walnut. I can't believe you got this from the dumpster. So I would basically just go dumpster diving every day and I'd find these amazing shapes like this one. Like both of these 
um, I found in this shape. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a head or yeah. like a body. And this one too. These were both in my show. At, oh no, one of them was in my show at turn. Mm -hmm. um, and so for a long time, I was just collecting the wood and, and painting it. And then in this past year, having more space in Nashville in my studio, I've been able to like get some tools. I got a grinder, mm -hmm. I have a, a saw. So yeah, I've been, um, I've been really interested in uh, still finding wood and still salvaging it, but then sort of modifying it in, in subtle ways for the sculptures so it's been really fun and yeah. the sculpture is just something I don't take too seriously it's like a nice sort of mental break side mm -hmm. practice mm -hmm. um and yeah they're just they they also allowed me to start working more abstractly I don't know why for some reason it's really easy for me to paint abstractly on a 3d object yeah whereas with like a 2d surface or like a 2d uh Plain, I feel more constricted so right maybe I, the idea of like yeah pictorial space is kind mm -hmm. of vibe or it's not so much if it's an object yeah mm -hmm. um so that was also really fun to just start like for it it was just like this amazing sort of practice of play that I that I like brought into my studio that was just like no strings attached. I didn't pay any money for this. You know, it's all crap that I found. So it's like um, a mental block. Uh, that's sometimes a mental block for me. Yeah. Which I know that I've spent a lot of money on materials. That I, I, I'm like, oh, it has to be good. It has to turn out. And then it, it never is because you have expectations attached. Exactly. But if you're just salvaging wood, then you can be totally free. So. It's yeah. been a really enjoyable discovery for me. I love that. Yeah, I relate to that to this. I feel like art is such a mind fuck of that. It is. Like, it is. Of like everything, expectations. Yeah. Everything that I have learned in studio, like it's just about having a really strong mental practice of like getting over your own self and your own roadblocks and limitations. Yeah. Um, do you have any tips on that? Anything oh. that works for you? <laughs> or, read, or like, well, yeah. So I read this book that really helped me. It's called The Artist's Way. Have mm -hmm. you read it? Yeah. Do you know it? I, it's, yeah, like I, my, it's like I, my Bible. Yeah, that's that so book. interesting. Yeah, I've read it many times and I do the art, the uh, morning pages. Do you do morning pages? Yeah. I've been doing I do that. night pages. I yeah, can't write yeah. in the morning. I write at night. Yeah, that's totally legit. You know what I find is harder? I've actually been doing morning pages since like 1999 or 2000 mm. or something. Same. I started like, when I was 14 and I didn't even whoa. know it was a thing. Amazing. Yeah. And I've just always done that. And then I read it in this book and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Or like the artist dates. I, I have always done that. Oh, really? See, yeah. I find the artist date harder for me. Like, I, I think, I mean, I do it, I would say, but I, I mean, I spend a lot of time myself, but I think on some level, the artist date's about play and not work. Yeah. And I think sometimes I have a harder time giving myself permission to do that. Yeah, it, I think it's about joy. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, it was like something that I started doing it, oh my gosh, in high school, like, 
And in college, if I was feeling like burned out or something, I would just stop and check in with myself and be like, what do I need to do right now to feel like a spark of joy? And sometimes it was like, I need to go to a flower shop or I need to go to Borders bookstore and look at their, (laughs) sit down alone and look at their section of art books. And it was, it was a practice that I continued in New York. Like I would take myself to the Met or MoMA or like I think flower shops, like a really nice flower shop was always like my favorite artist date with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like go and buy like one, you know, one flower, whatever. But that, that's something that really sort of, and then now in Nashville, I, there's a bunch of really amazing antique stores down here in the South oh, cool. and you can find like incredible quilts and incredible. I've been getting a lot of wood from these antique shops now. Um, so that's kind of been my recent, those have been my recent artist dates. Cool. That's, those are great tips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting with the sculpture, like, um, yeah, I feel like I, I think I saw you muse online somewhere also, like, how do you know if it even needs paint or not? Like, I feel yeah, like. Yeah. I posted that on Instagram. Yeah. I was like. To paint it or not to paint it, that is always the question. I was yeah. asking that about this one, actually. I kind of like it as it is, actually. Yeah. Like, I think the intervention of shaping it kind of mm-hmm. maybe removes more need for paint or something. I think you're right. I think you're right. It was really mixed, the comments on that mm. post. Like, half were like, yeah, you have to paint it. Half were like, don't touch it. And then the other <laughs> half were like, paint just a part of it. So I'm just letting it sit there. Mm, Um, yeah just let it it will like tell you yeah exactly (laughs) that's the other thing in studio that I've really had to learn I'm not naturally a very patient person it's just not really part of my personality but like being an artist I think requires that you develop that quality and skill because you can ruin a lot of stuff otherwise yeah you really have to sort of give give your paintings space to talk yeah, maybe also even more so when your work is like kind of um I keep wondering what the right word for is. I feel like I would put myself in this category too of like it's not it's not trying to be like photorealist or something. Like it's yeah um, it's minimal expressionistic. expressionistic yeah. 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 So it's like really, really dependent on each stroke in a way or or the feeling involved even and the color is so important I think color color is so emotional for me I think it's emotional for everybody but I think as artists we're just super tuned into that especially as a painter so yeah like I will sit for days and stare at a piece and be like what color is going to bring this whole thing together and I'll really sit and meditate on it I think that's the other thing I really learned to embrace a practice of meditation mm-hmm. in my studio. And that has really helped me um, just like, uh, I don't know, just what's the word? It's, a, it's allowed me to make space for the work to, to, to tell me what it needs mm-hmm. rather than my mind always running, 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 like just sitting still with it and quieting my mind and really looking at it and meditating on it especially with color is something that I that is something I do regularly yeah yeah so it's like a kind of an active meditation more than like focusing on your breathing is that accurate yeah I think it's a mix I've started I it's like in quarantine I started really reading a lot about meditation and trying to do both like 
I, I don't really have a, like a quiet space in, in the house. So I just go sit in my closet and I shut the door and I turn off the lights and I like, I like force myself to do like five to 10 minutes a day. And that's really helped me too. Um, yeah. I think we, I think we have, like, if we make space to hear like our inner voice, it really guides us in all aspects of our lives, especially in studio. Yeah, totally. And like, I think it's partly like learning to trust that and not yes. second guess it. Yeah. Yes. And not listen to all of the professor's voices in my head. <laughs> yeah. Telling um, me like that I have to make work about Iran. Mm-hmm. It feels like it. Um, color is a very, I agree, totally intuitive. Like I feel like people often first thing they might say about my work is like, oh, the color, you're a yeah. colorist or whatever. But I like, actually don't it's the thing I think about the least mm -hmm. <laughs> like I don't it's even, just natural yeah yeah I don't even know how to talk about it in a way yeah, same I'm the same <laughs> yeah and that's that's something that I think also like when I drew me to your work because like there's such sensitivity and vulnerability in it and then there's also like this it's like really in some ways like rambunctious like the way that you use color it's like really it like almost like it is like a complete disregard for like anything that anyone has like you, the way that you use color I don't think can be taught I think it's like it's a really natural sort of expression of you as a person it's like one of my favorite things about your work Aww. but that married with your with your content I think is what makes it so special and successful Oh, thank you. You're I, welcome. I like that word rambunctious. Like, I feel <laughs> like part of my forward, I feel like I want to be more like rambunctious or more, um, I don't know, provocative or something. Yeah, that's a good word. That's a <laughs> yeah. good word. Someone once said to me that they were like, you are promiscuous with color. And I was like, that is such a good word. I love yeah. that. That, that makes sense too. Like I feel like I feel like our your palette is very like. Mm, I feel like I think about primaries a lot, but maybe it's changing. Mm. Also, there's a lot of red in the new work. Yeah, I think it's. I don't know. I don't know how. I think it's very saturated. Is all mm -hmm. that I could say about it right now. It's very saturated, and it's constantly surprising to me. Like I never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> Um, but I, I just try not to constrain it too much. I think a lot of artists, the way that they work with color is really constrained. Mm -hmm. And the way that I approach it is just kind of like every color serves a different emotion and evokes a different feeling in both me and the viewer. And so anything is on the table. That's kind of how I approach it. Anything's on the table. And I want to be like, I get surprised while making my own work. I'm like, oh, wow, I never would have thought that like this vomit green would look great next to this vomit yellow, but like, wow, they really play off each other in a beautiful way. So leaving room for that surprise is, um, is also something I try and do. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I'm thinking about too, just while you're talking, like the idea of, I mean, it feels like motherhood is a big part and, and just f familial relationships of the recent yeah. work and mm -hmm. but like it feels more um complicated like sometimes the child seems more like the inner child than like mm -hmm. your like it's not so literal actually yeah 
I think that's a really accurate read. I'm really interested in psychology mm-hmm. and um, the psycho- like thing like things that are passed down from generation to generation. And I've been reading a lot of psychology books and you know, there was a lot of things that I experienced as a child and a teenager with my parents that I didn't want to repeat with my daughter. So the process of educating myself in the field of psychology is really making its way into my paintings. And like the idea of like reparenting or the idea of, you know, like um, what is a boundary? What does it look like to hold a firm boundary? What does it look like to be vulnerable? Like all of these concepts that um, I was not raised with, I'm having like learn as an adult. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're playing out. I hope that they are, they're playing out in my, um, in my work. Like one of the recent ones I sent you, it's called uh, fear, fight. Um, what is it? Flight, fight, fear, fawn. And it's the different, it's all of them, are, it's the four faces yeah. that are like in a diamond. Mm-hmm. And all of those words are the four trauma responses that right. people do. So like some people um, freeze. So it's, sorry, it's freeze, fight. Um, Wait, I have it. Flight, flight, fight, freeze, fawn. Thank you. I need to yeah. memorize that. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the four those are the four trauma responses like some what people fawn I don't fawn fawn means to just like be a peacemaker to oh, totally yeah, agree yeah, yeah. to like not you know seek out conflict mm-hmm. um but I saw those four and it's funny because I my in my nuclear family there's four of us and each member of my family embodies one of these mm. and so it's like that's something that you know no one is going to know when they look at a piece unless they talk to me about it but it, it's like very directly related to the what I'm learning about psychology what I'm learning about my own family uh what I'm learning about PTSD all these things that sort of happen um particularly with uh families that are immigrant families and have left their countries of origin under duress which is the case in my family Um, so that piece to me is like a really good, uh, embodiment of that. Which one do you feel like you represent? (laughs) I'm going to keep that to myself. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) If you, Um, if you, yeah, people, people can get to know me and they can guess. (laughs) Um, let's see what else did I want to ask you about? Um, Well, oh, some something I was thinking about in regard to that work too. I was feeling a little. Oh, my cat is here. Um, Hi, kitty. <laughs> um, I was thinking a little bit about like Louise Bourgeois' early work. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, and like she's like an, a prophet. Yeah, <laughs> for me. And she's very also into psychoanalysis and stuff. Yeah. I, yeah, she was in it for like 30 years and it's all about working out her kind of childhood trauma and all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I I love her work and that's kind of that was her show. I don't know if you saw her show at MoMA. I went and saw it three times when it was up. I think it was was it 2017? That's kind one of with maybe like big prints and stuff. That one and like It was that prints. Yeah. Well, it was upstairs on the second or third Maybe oh yeah 
And it was also her sculptures. Yes, yes. Now I remember. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, that really had a huge effect on me. And I, it was the first time that I had seen, I was like, oh, wow, you can be an artist and you can talk about these really personal things. You don't have to hide them. It's yeah. not, it's not something that you should like, you know, tuck away in some corner. And so I started um, incorporating like a lot of her, just like the freedom that she had to talk about her own story. I sort of tried to absorb and, and do the same. And, and I've, been trying to continue doing that ever since seeing that show. It was really transformative for me. That's so and I and her work is super transformative for me. I have a, a picture of one of her sculptures up on my studio wall right now. Oh yeah. Was it one of the one of the wood ones or what it's the it's the it's it um uh, where is it? It's it the one at Mocha. It's mm-hmm. uh metal and it looks like two figures twisted together. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah, know that yeah. one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for what I also love about Louise is that she was both a sculptor and a painter and mm-hmm. so prolific and um, what's the word successful. Just, she was an expert in both. And I find yeah. that really, really inspiring. She's like a genius. Like, yeah, she was I mean, she did so many things. And she had three sons. Yeah. I three met three her once. At- what? <laughs> yeah. It was kind of, I feel like, so I was in New York from like the mid nineties and I had heard you could like call her and yeah. go to her salon, but I was always oh scared because she had this reputation as like, really like she'll rip you a new a-hole if she doesn't like yeah. work. So I feel like I put it off and then I finally just called her. Like I found her name in the phone book and called her and she answered and was like, okay, you come Sunday. And I, <gasps> and I went <laughs> and one of her sons was there who was a total weirdo. And um, it was very, <laughs> it was very cool. Like, I mean, she seemed to, she was very old at the time, yeah. so, but it was still like really incredible to like. Oh, what did she say about your work? She barely said anything. She was kind of wanting, like, I was like the last person like, I think I brought a video, which she didn't want to watch. And then <laughs> I think I brought something else that I don't know. She was kind of checked out by the time it got around to me because it was like, I don't know, maybe 12 people there and some of whom were tourists and some of whom were artists. And it was like a very funny, weird scene, but it was very special also. <laughs> That's incredible. I am yeah, so, was- so jealous of you. So jealous. <laughs> I wish I had done it earlier. I mean, she probably, I mean, it probably, I don't know. Not that my, I mean, I was like, my work was crappy and it wasn't ready <laughs> for her, like whatever at the time, but it was still, yeah, a super inspiring thing. It's really inspiring. Yeah. She's, she's an artist that I think about a lot um, in my, in my work. Um, and, and more and more, I've been looking at a lot of, uh, sculptors and the way that they deal with the figure, like, um, Tal Lewis is an artist that I'm obsessed with. I don't know if you've seen her work. Yeah. It's like fabric. Yeah. It's all huge sculptures with, and she uses a lot of different, um, materials too, like from her personal life. Like she'll Mm. use like, uh, like like dolls and stuffed animals and things that she, and her clothes, like her clothes that she spent time in. So it's like mm-hmm. physical remnants of her body and her life, which I find really interesting. Yeah. And uh, Simone Yvette Lee, I look at her work a lot. 
she does these beautiful porcelain figures and she uses like um brand i don't know if, if it's like grass or raffia but like this sort of um i have to look up what the material is but she's mixing a lot of different materials as well in her sculptures so those are two that i'm and then also alma allen i don't know if you know him he's a self-taught artist and he makes these incredible uh you should look up his work yeah too. i will look it up i love often self-taught artists. Yeah, I, he had this incredible show in Chelsea and I drove past it. Um, and I and then I also saw him on Instagram and I was like, who is this guy? And I dug a little bit and his story is wild. You should, really? you should, yeah, Alma Allen. He's I'll incredible. Look it up. I'll put links to these people in the show notes. Also. Yeah, yeah. And who else do I look at? Chris Ophelia, I look at a lot. Um, the way he uses materials and the way his paintings go from sculpture to from 3D to 2D, I also think is really masterful. Yeah, he's amazing. I actually met him too once. Which oh was... my God. How <laughs> yeah. did you meet him? I met him at Skowhegan. I had a studio visit with him, <gasps> which was very cool. I mean, he's also extremely handsome. I have oh, is say. he? I don't even know what he looks like. That's funny. Yeah. Um, he, Were you starstruck? <laughs> it was, but he's very cool and down to earth. And he's also like, he was a visiting artist for a week. And um, so you had to like sign up to do a studio visit with him. And I think it was one of the best artist talks I've ever seen too. Wow. It's like, not even that he taught, like some of it would just be like, he would play music he was listening to while he was <laughs> painting that work. And it was just, I don't know. He's just like a very cool person. <laughs> That's amazing. The first time I heard about him actually was from my high school art teacher. And she was furious because she was like a really devout Catholic. Oh. And, you know, he did that piece where he put the image of Mary under urine. And she was talking about this artist who had done this and desecrated her image. And like, and I really walked away being like, wow, this is like the most evil artist in the world. I was like 14 at the time. And it wasn't until years later that I looked at his work, like, you know, as an adult with my own eyes. And I was like, she was crazy. He's a genius. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was thinking about him recently because of like, yeah, in the 90s, um, the Giuliani was like. He was trying to censor this. Uh, yeah, that the, show. That show at the Brooklyn Museum, Sensation. Yeah, and now right. it, it doesn't, <laughs> it seems so like non-offensive at all. Yeah, like it's yeah. really, I don't know. Yeah, I think that it was because there was elephant dung in it. Yeah, like, exactly. I don't even think he was trying to be like, he was actually creating a, a sincere spiritual image I think totally totally yeah. yeah and you know there is there's so much to say about elephant dung and like the way that it's used to build buildings and like it's it's usefulness and like as fertilizer and all of these wonderful things about it it's mm -hmm. yeah it was in many ways a genius material to consider yeah totally very very like yeah he's totally using it in a conceptual way yeah in a transformative way yeah totally and I think that's, yeah, I think that's also like a key word for my work. I really think about transformation, like this, the wooden objects, like the idea of like picking something up out of trash mm -hmm. and like transforming it into something of beauty or meaning or 
you know, an object that can convey an emotion um, or like picking up a piece of paper is something that's like so humble, such a humble material or thread and, and transforming them into like a testament to pain in my own life or in the life of others. Like this process of transformation, it's like what, what I try to, um, what I try to embody in the work. And also it's like what attracts me to other artists when I see an artist doing that really successfully. And I think Louise Bourgeois, Chris O'Feely, all these guys, Tal Lewis, like all of them um, really did this really successfully. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think something that's interesting, or I wonder if you think about with like using pain in a way, like putting using pain in art does mm -hmm. kind of transform it innately. Um, yeah. But like, I guess, I feel like I was making a lot of sad art for a while <laughs> and I yeah. like it's some I don't think my work is as sad anymore even though I would think I still feel like I want it to maybe I'm getting into anger more actually um mm, I kind of feel like there's a lot of defiance in your work actually yeah I know that's it's the word that I would use which I like it's definitely I wouldn't say that it's sad but I would say that it's I really love the vulnerability that I see and I love that paired with the defiance yeah. I think it's a really interesting emotional register to hit <laughs> thanks yeah I, I like that idea of defiance like that's I feel like that's the forward Track. forward step yeah yeah but like is that something you think about like um if you're using pain like I think on some level I want to like give the viewer something that is helpful or I don't know that I want to think about what am I giving to the world on some level yes. Yes. and how to hold both of those things I think about that. I think about healing all the time. Um, that's what I think about. And I think about how these objects that I'm making, whether it be 2D, 3D or something in between, like how they can be offerings of healing, like how they can be medicine. And I actually come from a family of doctors, like my mom's side, they're all like, my grandfather was a surgeon. My mom is a nurse. My grandmother was a pharmacist, like everyone on that side went into medicine and I was kind of expected to do that. Mm. Um, so I disappointed a lot of people and I was like, no, I'm gonna be a painter. Um, but this idea of healing was something that I was raised around. And I think it is a really central element to my work. And I've had people actually tell me that, like I've had people say to me, you know, when I look at your work, I feel better. Or when I look at your work, I feel less alone. Or when I look at your work, I cry. And that to me is always like the highest compliment. I'm always, always. And I think like the more of my own heart and soul that I put into pieces, like that's kind of, um, I think it comes through somehow. I think it's transmitted. I don't know how that works, but I think it's real. No, I totally agree with that. I think that totally, like I feel like, yeah, part of art is like, transmission of energy mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. yeah like even if you think of like I don't know Agnes Martin or something her work is so minimal but there's so much power to it it's like crazy 
And I'm actually reading her a biography on her right now. And her life was so difficult. Her Mm. mother was like really, really cruel to her. Mm. And um, she had so much trauma and pain as a child and as a youth um, and as a young adult. Uh, And it's, you know, and she had mental illness that she struggled with as well. Um, So she's actually, that's another artist that I think about a lot. And also Van Gogh, to be perfectly honest. I don't know if you knew this, but he was a minister before he was a painter. Yeah, it was his dream to be a minister. He was very devout and very dedicated to like the service of humanity. Mm, And he, yeah, he didn't get into divinity school at first and he had to like hire a tutor and study really, really hard. And then he got in and he got assigned to this um, congregation in this tiny French village and they gave him this apartment and he refused it because he thought it was too fancy. So he lived in a barn, wow. like with nothing. And they kind of rejected him because he was sort of always dirty and disheveled. And like his, his like, you know, wanting to serve them and wanting to be like one of the poor is actually what made them reject him. Wow. But there's like all of these, like there's so all of these artists that like were geniuses and I really love and admire. Like when I dig in and like learn about their personal lives, like it always makes sense to me what they make mm-hmm. and that like pain and suffering and transformation and overcoming their challenges always sort of comes through on, and, and also their commitment to spirituality. Yeah. I find they all have like a really strong spiritual practice that maybe the average person doesn't know, but if you dig a little bit, it's there. Like who, who knew that Van Gogh was a minister? Nobody. Yeah. I never heard that. That's so interesting. It makes sense. I feel like there is a kind of, yeah, religious fervor in a way, or it feels like he completely devoted himself to his work. He did. Yeah. yeah. And Agnes Martin too. Completely, like absolutely, that was her entire life. It was mm-hmm. her entire life. Yeah, all the good ones. Yeah, the good ones. <laughs> like yeah, which is actually so. I feel that in your work, uh, there is a spiritual practice of a kind. Like, is that? Do you feel like your work is your spiritual practice, or do you have another one, or how does it? that's what that's so interesting what makes you I'm curious to know like what makes you think that because there definitely is but I I just never know how like people and people ask me that sometimes I'm like what is it about the work that that made you think that in the first place um well I think to be perfectly honest I was rereading some press release that mentioned like some oh got it it, but like but I mean I would I don't feel like that there is a real universal quality to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, like you were saying, archetypes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's a kind of the color too, I think does. I mean, actually some of the recent work looks a bit like religious iconography. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Like early Christian stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's really true. Um, yeah. I'm a member of the Baha'i faith. That's how I was raised. Oh. And I'm a, I'm still a practicing member. I, that's the reason my family left Iran was because oh. the Baha'i faith is very persecuted there. Oh. Um, and my grandfather was very uh, tragically executed in 1982 for being a member of the Baha'i faith. Oh so that's the reason that my whole family left. And that's the reason I can't go back is because my last name has been blacklisted. 
Oh, and any yeah. anyone who's related to my grandfather because he was executed, like if I set foot in Iran, they would um, imprison me and, and probably hold me as ransom or kill me. And they still execute Baha'is and hold them in prison um, in present day Iran. So it's not something of the past. It's something that is still going on. So the, the central belief of the Baha'i faith is that religion is one and mankind is one and God is one. Um, so it's a religion um, that is all about unity and is all about this idea of oneness as a human family. So it's interesting that you would, you know, catch this notion of universality. Yeah. That's a hundred percent aligned with what it is to be a Baha'i. Um, yeah, so I think, um, I am a, I'm a practicing Baha'i. I fast. There's a, there's an obligatory prayer you have to say every day after the age of 15. I say my obligatory prayer. Um, Baha'is don't drink or do drugs. I've, I've never been drunk in my life. That's something that people, people are always like so shocked about because I think I'm a very social person and, and alcohol and sociability kind of go together. So in New York, people are always like, oh my God, are you a recovering alcoholic? Is that why you don't drink? And I'm like, no, I just, it's a religious belief. So I am a, a practicing Baha'i and that is a huge part of my, um, of my life and my studio practice because I really think about, I really think about these concepts that I believe in wholeheartedly, like that we are all united and we're all connected in ways that we don't even understand. Yeah. Um, and I think about, how to um, express that in the work. And it's exciting to me when people feel like it comes through. Yeah, um, totally. I feel like it totally does. Um, like, I think what is interesting about it, especially as in a way, I feel like you are becoming more personal in your work. Like it actually holds that sense of universality and very personalness at the yeah. same time. Like it's not just it's not just your experience, it's like the human experience. Yeah, I really, that is what, and I think sometimes something that I learned was that sometimes the more specific we get with our own story, the more universal it gets, Yeah. like the more relatable it gets. Um, and sometimes we think like we're the only ones that have like, you know, a certain relationship with with our parents or certain experiences in, in long-term part, romantic partnerships or, um, you know, like the the traumas of childbirth but then like the more you talk about your own experience the more people you realize have had the exact same experience or felt the exact same um moments of abandonment or desolation or uh or joy you know yeah. it's 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 really sort of um i think it's a really hopeful way that i approach the the narrative in my work um and that's why i've been trying to really be more more generous and more specific with my own story because i think that as humans when we are honest with who we are and where we come from it allows other people that same freedom to be honest yeah um, right back with us so yeah, yeah. i try i try to do that <laughs> yeah 100 percent. i felt that in performing comedy a lot like I feel like wow yeah, yeah comedy is really vulnerable yeah but it and I I think a lot of comedy comes out of shame or kind of owning mm -hmm. things that are shameful and 
I would find after performances, people would be extremely like open and yes, and sharing with me and stuff. And, totally. it, and I would feel amazing. Like I would feel so like liberated <laughs> and like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like cathartic in a way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it like, yeah, it's just a really powerful connection to a complete stranger almost. Like yeah. I get, I get emails from people who say stuff like that about specific paintings like people just like who see it online or on Instagram and they'll write me and they'll be like, this really spoke to me because of this experience in my life. And I have no idea if you meant it this way, but X, Y, and Z. And I, I save all these emails because I don't know, they're just really encouraging and they make me feel like, um, I don't know, sometimes I feel like making paintings in a world that feels like it's crumbling so fast is a really sort of superfluous thing to dedicate your life to um but when I do hear from these people or when people tell me that they get something back from my work it really keeps me going yeah I mean yeah. I think we need it like I feel like I think I definitely it. think we need it I definitely think we need it yeah yeah both as makers and as consume I don't really want to call uh, it consumers but uh viewers viewers yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I do too. I do too. I think it's just like, I have this weird like guilt coming from a, a family that was so dedicated to medicine yeah, and having so many cousins and, you know, aunts and uncles in that field where you have such an obvious and direct way that you're helping people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, doctors are like so celebrated in our society. And then like to, so to grow up in that environment and then be like, no, I'm going to, put paint on a piece of paper and, and cut and paste things together. Um, it's just taken me a lot of time to really sort of feel like that the, the choice that I made was, um, was a good choice. And I know deep down that it was, but again, it's, it's the mental games that our, our brains play with us. Yeah. I mean, that, and something that came up when you were saying that about your family history, like as, doctors and surgeons like in a way the sewing is a kind of mending it is so, yeah exactly it is yeah and that's actually a line that I included in my artist statement is that you know so many women have to be stitched up after they give childbirth regardless of whether it's a vaginal birth or a cesarean section like um there's tear there's incisions and so that's really sort of where I got the idea from um, and yeah, it feels very surgical. I think there's a lot, and there's a lot of anatomy in my work and the human figure has been something that I have always, always worked with in, in varying degrees. I started off really photorealistically and it's gotten more abstract, but I think my obsession with the figure and the human body comes from, you know, when I was little, I had those like organ and invisible body sets where like we would paint them and we'd glue them into the body and like, I knew the difference between the large intestine and small intestine when I was like five. Like I always was around people talking about our bodies and our um, respiratory system, our circulatory system, all the lymphatic system. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it, there there is this like nod to medicine, this nod to healing um, in my practice. Yeah, and it can be kind of like it is, it's interesting that it has a quite a physical, literal mm -hmm. kind of, um, yeah inspiration but then it's it feels like it functions on a spiritual or a psychological level too like 
Thank you. Yeah. That's exciting to hear that it that tr it's translating like that. It's taken me a really long time to feel like that's the case. Yeah. Also, it reminds me just of the kind of the conversation we were just having about like the role of art and the necessity of it. There's a really interesting book I read this past year called Art as Therapy, which. Ooh, hold on. Let me write that down. Art yeah. as Therapy. And it kind of, it's like hard to describe, but I got a lot out of it. And it was like kind of imagining like what if a gallery was like kind of worked with like a psychiatrist or a, or a psychoanalyst and it oh. kind of prescribed art that would kind of oh my gosh. help you go through whatever you were oh working on. I love that idea. I have to read this book. Yeah, I thought that was so cool. Like I would be totally on board for that. That's yeah, it's like art is medicine. Yeah. I love that. <laughs>